Well, grace and peace to you, beloved, once again. Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight this morning, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I wish I had a photo to show you, but I don't. So you're going to have to use your mind's eye, your imagination to picture Amy Wilson, little girl around eight or nine, at a Halloween party at church where the rule was biblically themed costumes only. So I wore my mother's striped earth tone dress and I cinched it around my waist with a belt and I put on leather sandals and a brown scarf over my head and on my arm I held a large bread basket with a huge handle and inside that basket my bald cabbage patch doll, baby Moses. And I was big sister Miriam. I know, right? I remember having so much fun creating that costume with my parents because I wanted to know more about the story of Miriam. And what drew me to her as a child and still draws me to her today is how bold this girl was in the face of oppression of her entire people, the grief of her mother and the impending death of her infant brother. It's such a powerful story, and it's one of only 93 stories of women told in our biblical text. Now, I don't know if you think that number is high or low, so let's just put it in perspective. Stories of fewer than 100 women are told in our Bible as compared to a conservative estimate of the stories of 1,700 men. How could this be? I mean, if women comprise half the population, if women hold up half the sky, as the ancient proverb says, why such a disparity? It simply cannot be because women only did 5% of the work. That's just not likely. Who laughed? That was a joke. Yeah, thank you, Summer. Thank you, Laura. The stories of men are told more often than the stories of women because it has been assumed since the beginning of time that men have the ability to speak to the experiences of all human beings, including women. But the reverse is never assumed. Historically, and even today, women are allowed to speak for women, but men can speak for everyone. Now, stay with me. I am not a man-hater, okay? And I'm not pointing any fingers of judgment here. This is the way our society works and has worked for generations, and it's not right. And it's overwhelming because the silencing of voices of different perspectives leads to a variety of social problems, many of which we are experiencing today. When so many voices are lost in the din, the danger becomes that we begin to doubt the importance of our own voice. We begin to wonder if we can really make a difference in the world and in our lives. That's why it's important to make the effort to listen to the stories of people whose voices are so often ignored. And that's the premise 
behind this new sermon series, this new worship series that we are calling She Speaks, Four Powerful Quotes from Four Powerful Women. And as you might expect, it's four weeks long, and we are beginning with Miriam. Miriam is one of 49 women who are mentioned by name. 93 stories of women are told, 49 women are mentioned by name, and you can, actually, you can actually find 25 of those names right here. So you are welcome and to complete this word search. You can even work on it now. I will not be offended. Some people listen better when they have something else to do. I would suggest whether you complete it now or later, and it is available online, that you look for the name Miriam first. You may know her as the sister of Moses, but considering that she saved his life when he was just an infant, perhaps Moses should be known as the brother of Miriam. What I love most about Miriam's story is the courage that she has to wait and see. It's a wise course of action, but it's not one without risk. You see, the Hebrew people who were living in Egypt had grown so large in number that the new ruler was worried that they might overpower the Egyptians. <clears throat> so he enslaved them and built the economy on their backs. Then he told the Hebrew midwives to kill every newborn baby, but they wouldn't do it. These women who were enslaved themselves lied and told the ruler of Egypt that the Hebrew women were so strong they were delivering their babies themselves before the midwives could arrive. And rather than argue, the ruler issues a decree across the land that everyone has the authority to throw a Hebrew baby boy into the Nile River, and they were bound to do so by law. It was into this reality of slavery and infanticide that Miriam's mother gave birth to another boy. For three months, the woman nursed her son and hid him from the world, knowing that he was marked for death. Can you imagine? When the baby had grown too large and presumably too loud, to be kept safe at home, his mother built a basket and lined it with something like what we would know as roofing tar, to make it waterproof. And the word for papyrus basket in this passage is the same word for ark in the Noah story. So this brave woman would indeed place her child in the river just as the decree required her to do, but in a lifeboat for just the chance that he might survive. And this is where Miriam takes the center stage in verse 4, though we are not yet given her name. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him, we are told. And we don't know if her mother asked Miriam to stay with the baby or if the mother was even aware of what the sister would choose to do. But what happens next gives us the idea that Miriam was not just there to watch. She was there to act. Her moment of opportunity arrives when the daughter of the ruler comes to bathe in the river. She finds the basket, the tiny ark with the baby still inside, alive. The ruler's daughter immediately identifies the baby as one of the Hebrew children. And when she hears his cries, she shows compassion for him. 
compassion. Some versions say pity, and we often use those words interchangeably, pity and compassion, but there is an important difference. To have pity is to feel sorry for someone who is suffering, and we can feel pity without ever lifting a finger. But this is where compassion is different. To have compassion is to express sympathy, to offer to do something about the suffering, even if it's simply being present. Pity is a feeling. Compassion is movement to action. Certainly the ruler's daughter felt pity for the crying baby, but then she showed compassion with one little word. Yes. That yes ended up saving the baby's life, but it was the brave question of the girl waiting on the riverbank that made that moment of salvation possible. Shall I go? Shall I go? Miriam asks. Shall I go and get a Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? This is a really brilliant move because with this question, Miriam, this girl, she plants the seed that the ruler could defy her father and keep the baby and raise him as her own son. At this point, the young woman must have known what she was getting herself into. She already had identified the baby as a Hebrew child. Certainly, she would identify Miriam as a Hebrew child as well, especially when Miriam revealed her connection to the Hebrew nurses. And these nurses, by the way, they were only in the position to nurse because they had just given birth, many of them to babies who had been immediately taken from them and killed. We often gloss over that part of the story. But the ruler's daughter would have known that to be true. She would have known the tragic nature of the situation, even if she didn't know that the nurse would be the baby's own mother. But I suspect that she would suspect that too. She was not dumb. So with her yes, the ruler's daughter joins the conspiracy, the birth of a coup against her own father that would grow alongside her adoptive son and even within him. So that yes to Miriam's shall I go would save not just the baby, but the entire people group. Because that baby was Moses, of course, and Moses, though he would show himself to be very human along the way, would grow up to be a great leader and would lead the people out of slavery, out of Egypt, into freedom. And do you know who was with him along the way? Not just Aaron, the smooth-talking brother, but his wise sister, Miriam. This is not the only time we see Miriam in action. We actually learn her name later in the Exodus story, just as the people flee to safety on dry land when the Red Sea is parted. And in those verses, she offers what has come to be known as Miriam's song, praising God for that miraculous work. She's mentioned a couple of times in history, in the history of Israel, as taking part in that beautiful escape from Egypt. And her death is recorded in the book of Numbers. But my favorite mention of Miriam, and the one that I think is most significant, is when she's mentioned by name in the voice of God 
through the prophet Micah. God is defending divine goodness and faithfulness and says in frustration, my people, what have I done to you? How have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. And also Aaron and Miriam. I sent Miriam to lead you. I had no idea on that Halloween all those years ago that even God saw Miriam as a leader. God chose Miriam to be a leader of her people at a critical time in their history, which becomes our history too as followers of Jesus. And it all started with her willingness to show up and speak up. Shall I go? Beloved, that one moment, that that one question teaches us that in God's kingdom, even one action or one inaction can make a life or death difference. And that's the difference between pity and compassion. The good news is that compassion is a pattern of behavior that we see throughout our biblical text. It's the pattern of behavior of our God who consistently over and over again hears the cries of the people, sees their suffering, has compassion for them, and is moved to save them. It's that same pattern that we see embodied in Jesus as he moves toward the people who are suffering and makes them whole. And it's that same pattern of behavior that God wants for us as the Holy Spirit works in us, teaching us to be more compassionate. Compassion is something that can be learned in other words, it can be cultivated. It just takes practice. So one of my favorite authors, I've just discovered her, is Rachel Mary Stafford. And she's developed a helpful way to frame this practice as she invites followers of Jesus to stay calm, compassionate, and curious. Calm, compassionate, and curious. Beloved, these three C's are what we see Miriam put into practice in the face of an impossible and deadly situation. She remained calm and walked with her mother and her brother to the river. She showed compassion merely by staying with the baby, not knowing what would happen. And she exercised curiosity, daring to ask the question of someone much more powerful than she shall I go? It's funny, really. The cruel ruler of Egypt allowed the girls to live, presumably because he did not see them as a threat. He saw them as powerless. Truly, he would not see them at all, but it was a girl, a girl who saved her people with three little words. Shall I go? So maybe the ruler would never see Miriam, but he certainly would hear her. He would come to know the power of her voice in the reverberation of her simple but bold question. I'm wondering, what difference could this question make for us in our life in light of all that we're facing as a human race? in our families, in our churches, in our workplaces, when we're standing at the threshold of pity and compassion, 
What if each of us could learn to stay calm, compassionate, and curious enough, curious enough to ask, shall I go? I'm foolish enough to believe that it really could make a difference. Amen? Amen.